0: Hi everybody, welcome to our session. Today we're going to be talking about the hips, the effect on the knees, back and feet, how to screen the hips, daily position, variety, balance and mobility.
1: Okay, I'm Katie. I am from Taos, New Mexico. Um, I work in physical therapy and I am a movement specialist.
0: My name is Jo Wilson. I work at university, so I lecture on our sport therapy and rehab degree and I'm a sport therapist and a strength and conditioning coach. Woo. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> so I guess we'll we'll dive into what is possibly the biggest topic to do with uh, the hips, and that is western culture, the u- use of chairs, the use of prolonged sitting um and I have to say Kate, you've you've been an absolute star because you've written some really extensive notes to go through so i'll let I'll let you lead on that one because I think you've oh. uh, you've put all the work into it. <laughs> Um, but let's let's have a, a discussion about prolonged sitting and where we think the issues are so if you want to start us off
1: yeah so um i'm gonna go through like what what prolonged sitting can lead to and then we can kind of like talk about it right yeah okay so um it can lead to weakened and lengthened glutes uh ham's tightened hip flexors and inhibited diaphragm luminals Um, increased stress on your lumbar spine and I would say thoracic spine too, a significant decrease in load on the feet and we could probably continue with that Uh, but we're just sticking to the hips at least for now so what does that really mean for us Jen? (laughs) Well
0: I I suppose there's uh, two things that we're gonna well maybe I'm gonna have a deep dive into is you know the, the problem with prolonged sitting and the fact that it's a use it or lose it type thing isn't it so your body really is a result of the environmental cues or your your genes are sorry, not your genes, your cells are really a result of your environmental cues. So if your environmental cues are stay in one position for a long time, unload particular muscles, and it's more than like the posterior chain in this, in this respect, then we're going to see morphological change in some of the muscle tissues and the fascia. Um, And I think that partly becomes, comes down to our sedentary behaviors and also our our sitting options as well because like you've quite rightly noted we don't just sit in a a desk chair we sit in a a car we sit you know in gym environments we have seated machines etc so it it doesn't just happen when we're at
1: work it happens right when we're sitting at the table we're eating three meals a day sitting down yeah. So a lot of people are always like, Well, I'm actually really active all day long. And I'm like, well, okay, okay. <laughs> why why is everything so tight and short on you then? <laughs> and it is just because that's our culture, because we have chairs and that is where we're comfortable to just sit in a chair. Right. Mm. So we can't really fight it, but it's something we actively have to like think about and change.
0: Definitely. And I think it's this is probably, you know. A little bit beyond our discussion today, but also I think we have it drummed into us that an hour of exercise will offset all these things that right. we, uh, you know, are doing as part of uh, our lifestyles. And the reality is, actually, that one hour a day of exercise probably is going to have a benefit, but it's not going to offset ten plus hours of sedentary behaviour. Um, right. You know,
1: and sometimes have a negative effect. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. it's
0: it's interesting, isn't it, Katie? Because one of the key things that we recommend when things are tight is oh, just go and stretch them. But again, a, a 20, 30 minute stretch program or whatever it is someone engages in isn't necessarily going to change all right. the adaptations that have occurred due to sedentary behavior or seating behavior. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, like you, re- like you said, we sit when we drive, we sit when we have breakfast, lunch, dinner, et cetera we then maybe sit when we watch tv and there's things that we can do to change that maybe changing our seat uh, sitting behaviors opting for standing desks i mean i don't know about you but i've currently got a stack of textbooks (laughs) (laughs) right my
1: university textbooks just piled up to create a
0: desk.
1: yeah you don't have to go spend hundreds of dollars on a big fancy desk you can just stack piles of things um and just changing position, right, is kind of what we were we moving towards here. Is it's not even just about standing now, because then some people go from sitting for eight hours to now they're standing for eight hours, and they have a whole new set of problems. Yeah. <laughs> so it's more about like varying our motion. Like I have a little um, what are those little like gar- gardening foam pads? Okay. Oh, yeah. Outside the garden, <laughs> that's what I use at work mostly. When I'm at my desk, I'm just kneeling which if you have knee problems, it's not great, but it's just another option. You know, there's like so many options to just start thinking about. And that's, that's what we're here to do.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Do you know what's, um, do you know what's particularly got me over the last few years? So I uh, recently turned 36
1: Ooh. and I didn't,
0: I didn't, yeah, I know, so old. I didn't realize <laughs> forty. <laughs> <laughs> there was behaviors I, I was adopting that I I didn't really tune into like, for example, if I've had quite a long day at work, I try and vary between seated and standing, but if there's occasions where I'm just stuck in a seated position, I was using a table to help me get back up. And you know, you, think, and you, know you know, you think, hold on, that is, that is not okay. But <laughs> It strikes me because I think we see um, this issue with people as they're getting older. I have this whole thing about physical longevity because... You know the longer you're active, the more um you know the greater your quality of life, and the longer that quality of life goes on for and right. me a lack of movement or sedentary behaviour through prolonged sitting can decrease that quality of life and that physical longevity because we just get stiff and we get tight, and there's this real culture about oh my knees hurt, so I shouldn't be doing this anymore,
1: oh my right. hurts, so I shouldn't be doing that anymore. And my back hurts because I'm getting old or my knees yeah, hurt because yeah. I'm getting old. Yeah. yeah just, I don't agree with that either.
0: It kind of stems from this lack of movement variability, doesn't it? Because right. what, what are people told? Are your back hurts? Rest. Go and right. sit. Make sure you sit instead of stand because their back hurts when they stand for a long time. So rather than right. engaging those healthy movement behaviors, they actually gravitate towards the behaviors that are potentially more limiting and, right. it's, and it's so so inspiring in
1: us. Yeah. It's so yeah in us. Possibly what created the whole pain process in the first place.
0: Yeah. So yeah. Um, um note here that you've you've kind of said that um osteoarthritis is more prevalent in Western cultures. I wondered if you could talk us through that, because that's re- that's really interesting.
1: Yeah. Um I, I feel like I've read this in several things, and probably the most common is the book Born to Run, right? <laughs> like the whole world has read. So I'll just put that one out there that most people can identify with. Like the Tarahumara, who they talk about in that book, um, they're still running in their 70s and 80s and they're not doing anything different that they had done in their 20s and 30s or even in their teens, really. And they don't have hip pain. They don't have knee pain. um, And they definitely don't have this high degree of OA that the rest of Western cultures, anybody who sits all the time does, we could kind of get into like the whole blue zone thing too right where they're yeah. they're not the Tarahumara they're not like running um, a million miles a day but they're just moving constantly and yeah. they're not just sitting in a chair they're not sitting in a chair they're usually like on the ground kneeling doing something way more functional as a human being mm-hmm. right
0: yeah and I, I think that's a really nice point and um, I um, was lucky enough to meet Shane Benzi. Uh, a few months ago
1: yeah
0: he's written a really fantastic book on um basically you know kind of the fascial system in running and this whole idea was being like elastic runners but one of the things he said to me and it really stuck with me was um we we love load and we love we love force and I think it's interesting I will get to my point in a minute but this is quite quite <laughs> a bit Kind of interesting thing from a, a running perspective, for example, is we're told the high force is bad, and our our job as practitioners is to try and minimize force going through the system that leads to overuse injury blah 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 but actually what these people are doing who are engaging in more movement based behaviors who are maybe moving away from prolonged sittings is they're engaging with force they're engaging with things like gravitational force, and I think there's something quite beautiful in that because we are built to respond to load we're built to respond to force and i think part of the problem is in the west in western cultures we're so comfortable we we opt for behaviors that are so comfortable that we stop we stop um or we minimize this relationship with force and then when we when we do put ourselves in a position where we're exposed to high force we get these injuries. It hurts. Uh, Yeah, exactly. I'm just thinking about kneeling on the floor for a long time. I'd be in bits, Katie. (laughs) Not that bad once you try. (laughs) But that's maybe why, you know, our older generations are more predisposed to things like osteoporosis, osteoarthritis, because they're not loading the the bony system as much. They're not loading the, the skeletal system as much. And that's right. maybe why we're seeing that sort of increase in um, bony related disorders in our in our uh, older adults.
1: Right. And then it's like a matter of trying to get the like breakthrough to say, no, you're supposed to be able to do this. It's actually not normal yeah. that you're 65 years old and you can't bend on your knees. You can't squat down to the ground. Right. Yeah. And they're afraid to do it. Yeah. Or even after a knee replacement, like now you have a a brand new joint in there. You should definitely be able to do all that. But all the fascia is so tight and it hasn't done it for years and years. So Yeah, now you've done it. Now you should be able to do it even better. (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah. That's such a pet peeve. Like, oh I have I have joint replacements. Like yeah, they're way better than mine then. So let's do it. (laughs) And it's like a magnet. Come on.
0: (laughs) So I guess what does this all mean for the hips? And I, you know, I'm really bad at deviating from topic. So I'm (laughs) going (laughs) to, I
1: know we kind of already got into this a little bit. So like,
0: like we said, you, if you adopt um, behaviors or movement behaviors for prong periods, then your body acclimatized to it. And again, I really love this idea that your cells are a response to your um, environmental cues. Yeah. And most of our seated positions, as you quite rightly said, is, sort of like typical 90 degrees you get stiffness you get fascial stiffness etc but then that translates across to other things so for example you know if we see someone who's got an anterior pelvic tilt because they've adopted particular sitting positions that will translate to what happens when they're in standing and what happens when they're in other activities as well and it's it's um you know you must see this in your clinic katie you you basically get people whose posture tells you a story of what they do on a day-to-day basis and it's such a reflection right. of their kind of daily habits isn't it
1: it is yeah completely and um, sorry go yeah. no it's okay i was gonna say it's just across, across the board you know mm-hmm. it doesn't even matter the age but sadly the 16 year olds have adopted really more habits
0: yeah oh yeah the, the whole text neck problems um yeah. <laughs> is bigger
1: okay. than it um, covid life sitting behind a computer yeah. all day long oh those poor kids okay um, <laughs> that could be another whole topic. you
0: spend a day on
1: totally. could oh my god okay.
0: <laughs> um but obviously you know that that shift in your posture leads to things like changes in your movement beha- patterns when you exercise and changes in other functional movement patterns so for example it translates to gait and of course gait right. you, if you look at walking behaviors then walking ultimately is just multiple steps over a period of time where we're interacting with with force and ground reaction forces and of course one thing that we we likely to see once it impa- sitting impacts the hips is changes to things like hip extension
1: mm-hmm.
0: the knees becoming dominant in gait patterns um foot pronation right. um, so i wonder if you could talk us through why why it might maybe lead to changes in hip extension
1: so if you're sitting all day um well oh, okay if you're if if we're in this Western culture of mainly sitting and we're stuck in that ninety pos that ninety ninety position um the hamstrings are going to shorten your glutes are going to end up lengthening um we put way more stress on our lumbar spine, and most people end up having we we lose the curvature of our natural spine or at least of the lumbar spine, and then we kind of enhance the curvature of our thoracic our upper um spine and so that doesn't stop when you when you are standing right now it's like transitioning into standing and then running and all those other um crossfit (laughs) like anything that you want to do like god forbid now we're stuck in these like kyphotic tight postures and we're trying to be really athletic at the same time so
0: yeah and um i you've brought up a really good point that's probably going to lead us into our our next section really well about this whole idea that do you know what, if you have tightness here, what it ends up doing is something has to compensate as a result. Um, and quite often you see, ch- you know, morphological change and things like the thor- thor- thoracic spine, head and neck position. That obviously leads to a whole ton of issues like your IQing cueing position and things like that. So for our athletic populations or our, our kind of uh, um, exercise based populations that can have implications Um, and we we kind of had some notes to and fro didn't we um about uh the the impact on things like the hip flexes and i think for me i've like i've gone through a real turning point as a practitioner over the last few years particularly as i've been involved in the foot nerd program because historically i think we were taught to take very reductionist approaches to corrective exercise so i came through like the um sport therapy into sort of NASM's corrective exercise. And I I certainly do not see an issue with, with any of the kind of um, corrective exercise planning, but it's very much like if you're demonstrating X, this is probably what's causing it. Right. But as you, you know, you just um, alluded to one of the problems with, let's say someone who's sitting all day and it's changed their pelvic mechanics. If we only address the thoracic, we're never going to fix what's maybe corresponding with that issue. So ultimately, we need to take a bit more of a global approach in how we address things, um, and the, the kind of whole idea of the hip flexors becoming tight or short really takes me back to those early days in in functional exercise and corrective exercise because the hip flexors were blamed for pretty much everything, weren't they? Um, the hip right. flexors at one point were the root of all evil, and, <laughs> and I think we're sort of gradually coming out of that that process where we think the hip flexors are to blame. And actually, right. what you see a little bit more on um, on kind of social media and practitioner bases is this idea that actually the hip, the hip flexes are more than likely weak as
1: opposed to tight. Right. And yeah, okay. weak, weak and short, right? Yeah, yeah. Tight. Yeah, so. And they feel tight, right? And that's like becomes the, the hurdle that you have to explain to people. It's kind of like the Achilles, right? The calves always feel really tight, but they're really just weak. Yeah,
0: yeah. They're just holding on for dear life, aren't they? <laughs> right. They're trying to, yeah. they're trying to stabilize right. as best they can. So their only job is just to kinda of go, Oh, can I hold on as well? As <laughs> and then hope for the best.
1: And um, and after we've made them sit for eight hours all day <laughs> long in this like contracted position. And we're <laughs> like, let's go for a run, it'll be fine. <laughs> what could go wrong?
0: Just you get fun to hold it on to your lumbar spine, like, Oh my god, what um, I don't know
1: why my back hurts. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, you know like when you, when you actually dig down into what the hip flexors do they've got such an important job in stabilizing the spine and actually if you take the kind of the ball and socket joint of the hip it stabilizes the ball within the socket so the so it's right. the ball within the socket so it's a little bit more than oh you know, it's a hip flexor Its primary job is to flex the hip actually no, no, no. what it's doing is it, stabilizing the lumbar and and the hip joint itself And um, but like you said if you're in a posi- seated position all day, and that muscle's been main- maintaining that position um, for a prolonged period, and then you're like, "Let's go and do a fifty-mile run," it's not going to be happy about it. And what happens no. as a result is this like cascade effect where other tissues start doing a job. So, the, like typical TFL tightness, for example, like your sartorius starts taking over as a as a hip flexor. Right. We see it changed in in the quads because, um, you know things like RecFem again, they take over a bit more of a primary role as that, that hip flexor system. And you right. couple that with something like an anterior pelvic tilt. And what it does is just creates like a domino effect of... of
1: right. And now of, your, your lumbar spine is creating that extension, yeah. right? That yeah. would pretend extension. That's not really there. Yeah. And putting yeah. a ton of stress on our spine.
0: And actually, you know, kind of the problems that creates is not just local to kind of the pelvic and the hip region but also what happens at the foot and ankle is going to be dictated by what happens at the the hip what happens at the thoracic the cervical is going to be dictated by what happens at the hip Um, and again if you think about things like foot pathologies we talk about this whole idea of pronation well actually hip movement places the foot so for example like your foot basically lands where sorry let me rephrase that your foot lands where your hip places it so if you have um, lots of hip flexion but not much hip extension for example that's going to change your stride cycle it's going to change your gait cycles and that might lead to things like excessive pronation yeah. um, and you, you've got a really nice note here about things like Squat behaviors become tricky, or squat behaviors become difficult, and again, that can lead to pathological knee pain, um, overuse injury, because the hips just don't want to move in a manner in which they're intended to move um, because right. they get I, I, I always say they get sticky, they get you know yeah. tight and sticky, and they don't move as well as they should um, and that can you know we kind of see a lot of people with anterior pelvic tilt who adopt sort of prolonged sitting behaviors probably because again that myriad of changes has occurred they've adopted more of a flexed position over time that's going to translate to more of an anterior pelvic tilt right. um, but to kind of bring us back to the original subject that's not because the hip flexes are the root of right. all evil and they're tight. they're you know they're creating this anterior pelvic tilt it's it's a cascading effect and it's almost right. like some of the tissues have forgotten what they're going to be doing or forgotten how right. to do their job and other stuff has just become overloaded and overwhelmed. And again, it's starting to fatigue and that's doing too much of a job.
1: Yeah. I think we could say it, it probably starts right there though. Right. I mean, that is where like, we are just flexed right into that position and mm-hmm. everything just starts there and then it <laughs> spreads from yeah. head to toe. Yeah. hundred percent. Amazing. It is a little
0: bit like um, head, shoulders, knees and toes and knees and toes, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Do you see a lot of this in your clinical work?
1: All day long. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's like I said, from like the 15 year old up to like the 95 year old Mm -hmm. to varying degrees and. And it just becomes education, you know, it's not like one exercise is ever going to fix anything or even like any series of exercises. It's all behavioral changes, habits that we need to like break free of and understand the true role of our hip and its effect on the entire body.
0: Yeah. And then we, again, we had a little bit of a discussion about this whole idea of, um, of, taking a more reductionist approach versus taking a bit more of a global approach in terms of rehabilitating um hip motion and i think we right. come similar backgrounds um where isolating something ha- has a place and it certainly has a place in our practice particularly when someone has pain but i like this idea of giving tissue context so for example like you know if you um don't know how to squat explore different squat movements to teach your teach your hips what healthy movement is and give give this kind of joint the uh tools in order to be able to move as opposed to i think like i've moved away from just doing this whole i'll give you a stretch and a foam roll routine to do and that will resolve all your issues because i don't think that works whereas giving the body some context to move to maybe changes sort of those movement movement patterns
1: yeah it's like finding out what, what do you do all day or what is it that you want to do all day? Mm-hmm. Because that's what we need to make you good at doing, you know, mm-hmm. just like a clamshell will make you really good at doing a clamshell. Like foam rolling is going to make you really good at foam rolling. It's not really going to translate, at least not anytime soon. Yeah. Until we start doing those things that you need to do. Like if you need to be squatting down, if you need to be down on the ground, you need to be able to squat. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And
0: um, it's, the other thing I was going to say is it's quite interesting, isn't it? Like you, we've kind of spoken about these common patterns that we, we see around the, the hip and the pelvis. And um, I don't know about you, Katie, but I can have people come in to clinic with knee pain, shoulder pain, neck pain, uh, foot and ankle pain, whatever. And you yeah. can pretty much guarantee they all show the same um, the same movement patterns.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I think it's more common to have these poor movement patterns of like, like that sway back posture, right? Mm-hmm. Of like, you hang on the front of the hips, you're like, you're doing everything from your lumbar spine and then you're like rounded at your shoulders and yeah. your feet are barely doing anything. You're just kind of like locked out in all your joints, hanging on your ligaments, if you will. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's way more common than not, sadly, mm-hmm. through the whole spectrum of ages. Do you see it in a particular age group more than others? um i mean it's probably mm, no no i shouldn't say i was going to say older yeah but i think no (laughs) this day and age no sadly it doesn't matter
0: yeah (laughs) for Um, you does it um no i I suppose like i think i i see more i shouldn't say this but middle-aged type um type yeah uh patients so i i see it generally in those age groups with, with sort of younger age groups i'm seeing morphological changes that are happening a little bit higher up because of the, the whole text neck thing um but yeah it is it is interesting and sometimes as a practitioner I'm like am I just not you know am I just seeing this from a viewpoint that I want to see it because I'm so used to seeing the same things and then you're like no actually it's just that a lot of these people are showing the same uh, same movement right. patterns um and yeah. um, so we we kind of mentioned it earlier um about this idea of when you see these sort of morphological changes it translates into other functional movements and the idea that it can have an impact directly on gait patterns it's something i'm really passionate about because uh, a lot of the types of people i see are recreational runners and so i've got a big um interest in in running gait and i think it's something that is um particularly important because we do see in runners uh in a year you may be getting uh runners have oh sorry between 60 and 90 percent of recreational runners sustain an injury per year which in my mind is way 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 too much um sure. so we noted that um the there's a decrease between hip extension and, and the effect on gait and um, i wondered if you could talk us through that a little bit more i know we kind of touched on it briefly earlier but i wondered if yeah. you could talk about the relationship between what happens at the hip and then maybe a little bit further down the chain right
1: yeah, so, and we were also talking about how you're, we're not loading our feet during the day either. So, if you're like sitting more than we should be, our feet have just are losing any strength they have. And then, and then we want to go running. Mm-hmm. So, we'll start from there. So, now we've like we've lost hip extension. Um, so, that also means our glutes can't really fire. If we physically can't really get into extension anymore, then our glutes are just going to be hanging out there, really. Would you agree? Yeah. 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 <laughs> do a few clamshells that will resolve everything <laughs> right oh, <it'd> be fine <laughs> um okay so if you're if your hip is not going into hip extension that has a huge role on our foot um our big toe is kind of like what drives hip extension right when we're standing walking and especially running that is like what is it like 30 40% of our power comes from our big toe right and it powers us into hip extension if we don't have hip extension, we're not using our big toe, or vice versa. If we've lost the big toe movement, then we definitely can't get into hip extension. Um, and then ankle dorsiflexion, which is when the, the foot comes off the ground, um, that's going to be tight, and that's also going to affect everything else. Mm-hmm. I need to get into this. Did you have an, a note you wanted to add to that? Um, no, uh, I, you know, I just think this. <laughs>
0: like we said it creates this myriad myriad of problems um and of course when you lose ankle dorsiflexion the foot pronates as a result doesn't it so we see these right. pronation patterns and it's of course it kind of comes back to this point you maybe get an orthotic or you maybe get something to um resolve the foot pronation but you don't resolve the problems elsewhere right. so actually what you what you do is just put a plaster on a problem don't you
1: yeah Yeah. And if you don't have that hip extension, which means you don't have the toe off and you don't have the dorsiflexion, then that also, oh shoot, where was I going to go with that? Um. (laughs) Uh, Oh, you end up, you end up finding it somewhere else, right? so usually it ends up being that kind of like swishy foot pattern, right? Of like a circumduction and that wreaks havoc on everything, but especially the knees yeah you know, in our so not only are our hips getting tight but now our knees are taking a beating because our our feet and our hips aren't doing what they need to be doing and so the knees in the middle of all of that
0: yeah I, the way I always explain it to um uh to like patients and athletes and if anyone is a big fan of the knee then I apologize in advance but the knee's just this really rubbish hinge joint in the middle isn't it it has such it a, a limited yeah. joint it just has to go bend unbend Bend, unbend tiny bit of rotation yeah, but, yeah man. <laughs> it's it's such a small job in the whole Fair scheme though. of things isn't it and right yeah it's where most of us are going to get injuries it's where most of your running athletes are going to get injuries and it's where most of your kind of um, older athletes are going to get injuries so the point right. is just this taking astral, a beating man rubbish hinge joint in the middle <laughs> all this all this attention <laughs>
1: Pretend it doesn't even exist and then we'll be fine.
0: Yeah. Don't even worry about the knee. (laughs) Um,
1: I mean, honestly, as a clinician, practitioner, whatever, uh, anytime you get a knee problem, you're always looking above and below it, right? And it's always there that, like, the real crux of the problem is and where you can make the most impact, right? When you, like, identify those problems at the ankle, the foot, or the hip.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And you, you touched on a really nice point there about, um, the foot and it kind of falls in line with what we were saying about sitting. You, you sit for a long period, you've stopped loading the feet, you've stopped loading some of those nice tissues in the feet, you've stopped loading the, um, some of the nice tissues in the posterior chain that are meant to be supporting your body. And ultimately what happens is it's a bit of a use it or lose it type thing. So we become dominant in the anterior. The posterior is like, eh, I'm not needed anymore. I'm not going to do my job anymore. And all of a sudden, it, it stops doing that job. Um, so we really, we really, really are a response to our environmental cues. Um, so I was going to ask you a question, because I think you do a lot more clinical work than I do at the minute. How do you, how do you approach um, the conversation about sitting with your uh, patients? Because like, I take my day job, for example, and there's periods where I just can't escape from being in a seated position, because I might be in a really long really long meeting um <laughs> <laughs> there's only so many times you can turn your camera off to excuse yourself for a second but uh, you know there's there's periods where i might be sat for a long period and i know i can't escape it or you know there might be times when i have to be really sedentary for a long period um and i think sometimes people can be quite uh unwilling to uh, change their movement behaviors because they think they can't. So, how how do you approach it as a clinician?
1: Um, I, at first, I think I tried to leave it up to the patient to to just tell them like kind of this conversation that we're having and let them like run with it. And then yeah. I realized people need a lot more instruction than that. And so now it's like, okay, you're going to set your timer for every twenty minutes. You need to change how you're sitting, how you're standing, whatever you're doing, just change it completely mm-hmm. or go take a walk or whatever, like just do something different. And it has to be like every 20 minutes. Yeah. Cause to me, I feel like I found that like 10, 20 minutes is like, I'm uncomfortable and I need to move. Yeah. And I don't think it's that I'm, I'm like an old decrepit woman. I think it's my body is telling me I'm uncomfortable. You need to get going again. Yeah, definitely. And so that is how I started with patients. And then also just teaching them like physically showing them you're going to sit cross-legged you're going to kneel you're going to do all these things that, as a human with hips <laughs> you should be able to do those things and yeah. so many people cannot do them yeah you
0: know? definitely um and it, yeah again the, the kind of response i get a lot of is oh well my hips are tight so i need to stretch then i'm like no you need to <laughs> right. move more um yeah. and i think i generally think we're in a bit of a culture where things are shifting but there's certainly a, um, maybe cultural block where you know you go you're in an office I want you to move every 20 minutes that can be quite right. difficult if you're in a shared office environment and um, when we were in an office my desk buddy used to think I was a little weirdo because I'd go from sitting and cross-legged then I'd be squatting on my chair then I'm right. uh, using the old textbook technique for a standing desk yeah but I think it's still a little bit um
1: Yeah. It's not accepted yet. Right. As just being normal to just constantly be moving around. Yeah. And And I think also there's like the whole stress and anxiety part of our culture too, where it's just like, no, I need, just need to get it done. I need to get it done. And you're sitting at your desk for like four hours before, you know, like they go through lunch, they just forget everything. Yeah. And that's more normal than sitting and squatting and kneeling. Yeah. (laughs) Doing those weird things. (laughs)
0: I think the the other kind of thing um there is a lot of which can undo all this you know all this foundational work is quick fixes like kneeling chairs for example again i don't have a problem with kneeling chairs but that's not going to resolve all your issues if you move from sitting in a chair for eight hours to being in a kneeling chair for eight hours that's probably going to make things a lot worse right uh we have things like have you seen those um it's almost like an elastic band that is meant
1: for the posture. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I keep getting, maybe, (laughs) maybe I should start listening to it, but my, um, my social media feeds keep advertising one. That's got like a little pod in the back that gives you data about how often you sit in that
1: position. It's like, Oh, Wow. (sighs) I'm like, don't you just know though? Come on. Yeah, exactly, exactly. see they have ones with like a little zap, and it like reminds? I don't know if it actually pulls the muscles, but it supposedly is like a little e-stim shot to you to be oh, able wow. to like oh, sit up tall again. I mean, if
0: anyone wants to pay me to sit with a cattle prod and just remind them, that I'd be happy <laughs> to do that. <laughs> That's fine. But I think the thing is, we you know we kind of. Have this culture where there's a lot of quick fixes that are going to fix back pain. They're going to fix, you know, your kind of bad posture, etc. When the reality is, just moving more or varying your movement behaviors frequently is Mm -hmm. the easiest and most effective option, isn't it?
1: Right, it is. That's that's kind of my my thing too. I'm like, I always get kind of excited. I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't think this is like a big structural problem. I don't think you need surgery. Mm -hmm. Yay! I don't think you need injections. I think you just need to do this really simple thing, but you have to do it all day long. Yeah. And unfortunately that's, what's so daunting to people is like, Oh my God, I have to think about this all day long and make that tiny little change all day long. Do you ever get people who, you know, kind of you
0: give them all these tools and there's this obstruction to them, or, you know, they kind of obstruct to being able to do it.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Probably like 50% of the time people are just like, Oh, what is the one thing that I need to do? Like, this is it. You need to just like get into a posterior pelvic tilt, right? (laughs) Like all day long, maybe try that. And it's just a block, you know, because they want one exercise or they want us to manually do something to them and just fix it and make it go away. Yeah. And that's, that's just not how it is. That's not how, human beings have lived for thousands of years right we never had those quick fixes it was always just like maintain a nice strong steady lifestyle yeah and none of us do that anymore
0: (laughs) do you know I generally think the most damaging thing that's been done to our industry is the hip flexors are tight and the glutes are weak because the amount of people I've had or I've been told my glutes are weak and you think well you probably wouldn't be able to stand if that was really an issue. <laughs>
1: exactly. Or even the core too. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, I don't have any abs. <laughs> I think you'd be a b- big ball of mush on the floor if that yeah. were true. <laughs> um, in there. I,
0: this is a slight deviation, but I once had um, a weightlifter who could, she was, she was 52 kilos and she could squat 115 kilos. So really, really strong. And she had back pain and she, she was like, uh, I've been told my glutes are weak and I was like, I don't think your glutes are weak. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's the problem. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to rightfully disagree though. I don't think that's the problem.
1: Um, <laughs> oh, who is telling her this information? Let's uh, not go <laughs> We'll get into that.
0: <laughs> um, so we have um, some uh, range of motion screening and tests that you've, you've listed here and um you've come up with a really nice list so can you talk us through uh some of the some of the tests that you would recommend for anyone who's on the Footnote program working with participants have you got like a go-to
1: test series that you'd use um well i think for people to do on themselves um i would probably do like a thomas test right mm-hmm. um so we'll have a link for this and we'll show it but basically uh when we're laying down on our backs and if we were to pull one knee into our chest and you let that hanging leg be actually fully hanging off the table or the bed or wherever you are, it should drop quite a bit, right? Like we should have 10 to 30 degrees of hip extension available at any given time. Most of us do not have that, but a lot of people, when I do that test on people, they're just staying completely flat and sometimes even pop up, Mm -hmm. right? Which is like, very very tight that is a good test though to do on yourself to at least start to see where your hip flexors at and where your quads are at too because it yeah. pretty much shows both of that right
0: yeah i um love watching things like rotation those sorts of tests as well like do we see any yeah. sort of lateral or, um sorry external or internal rotation is that giving us an indication of maybe what's kicking in early to do uh, to do a job right so there's some nice deviations in that as well um for anyone who follows things like the fms tests i yep. really love a hurdle step because i think the nice yeah. thing about hurdle step is you get a good indication of how well the hip is being stabilized when it goes through flexion but you also get this um, uh, sort of reciprocal motion in one hip extending while one's flexing so it's a really really nice test to see right. whether you're able to achieve flexion or not um yeah. and
1: then, and then, we, sorry go on. i was just gonna say for both of those you can easily see what goes on in your lumbar spine right and that's mainly why we're doing it mm-hmm. <laughs> see how much lordosis which is like that extra curvature of our lumbar spine are you really using that versus your hip flexors and you're going to see that with both those tests
0: yeah um and then the other tests that you had uh sort of in your screening tests with the squat as well so can you talk us through what you'd be looking for in a squat test
1: yeah so i try not to tell people what i'm looking for or or set them up right you just say you're just going to do a squat mm-hmm. and the the first thing you're probably going to see is is like a a knee knee driving right that they're like creating the motion through their knees and that's like telltale sign number one they're quad dominant <laughs> But ideally what we want is is for the butt to start leading back first, right? And for the, there to be full ankle dorsiflexion, for our knees to be able to fully squat without a lot of pain and all the way down to the ground. And then what is the pelvis doing? Are we like shifting to one side or the other? And can we keep our chest up? So there's like a whole list of things to look at, but it's a very easy test. Once they do it, you can see it all,
0: right? Yeah, yeah and you get an indication of, behaviors that um that correspond with things like obviously getting in and out of a chair if you like me you have to use a surface to help you up now Um,
1: if you're 36 years old and you need a table now (laughs) honestly i was like
0: getting up from um i can't remember what i was doing but i had my hand on a surface you know you stop and you think what am i what is what (laughs) am i doing yeah when did I start doing that?
1: <laughs> well, good for you for noticing. Awareness <laughs> is number one.
0: <laughs> now I just have to do this with my hands every time I go. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> Don't use anything. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, know, well, that kind of reminds me actually during a squat. The other thing is, can you do it at all? Like the minute that you say, okay, just try leading with your butt. Mm-hmm. And then you see they just rock right backwards. Like if, if you're not there, they're just going to fall on their back. Yeah, It's, it is crazy, but it just is such a telling little test.
0: Yeah. And I think, um, just, I know we've got a, a couple of other tests that we can chat through, but I think it's worthwhile noting at this point that there are loads of different types of squat patterns and we become a bit fixated right. on the perfect gym squat, don't we? And I think, right. I, I don't know about what your take is on hip mechanics during a squat pattern. Um, but you can get to the bottom of a squat, have fantastic hip range of motion and it's almost like a rest position. So your squat looks like you have like a posterior pelvic tilt or a butt wink. Mm-hmm. That isn't, isn't a problem in an unloaded squat. It is a problem if we start loading, loading some weight. So right. I think acknowledging if you are going to assess a squat pattern and you are going to assess hip range of motion in the squat, right. acknowledging what is normal and safe versus what is Abnormal and unsafe, like the knees dropping in or or femoral adduction.
1: Right. Yeah, um, I didn't even mention that. The knee collapse, yes. huge one.
0: Oh yeah, here's here's a really good question for you, and this is a real deviation from our our list, <laughs> maybe. but it's something I think um, again I've seen a lot of. So I I work with things like youth female netball players or f- young female athletes and of course what we see in a lot of female athletes is knee valgus and and again that that relates to what's happening at the um the hip and the pelvis do you think again there's maybe like a cultural thing that leads to i know we obviously have cue angles and things so we won't go into that but do you think there's maybe like a cultural thing where females are expected to sit a certain way you know we're very dainty we have our our legs together there's this whole like um, uh I don't know, cultural yeah. demand for females to stand a certain way, so, like, stand with their hip shifts and things like that. Right. Um, and obviously, you know, females wear high heels, so that can lead to change in pelvic position. Do you think we see these issues in females because of cultural cues as well as obvious anatomical cues?
1: Yeah, it definitely could play a role in it. And mm-hmm. I hadn't really thought that much about it, but I noticed that all the time of, like, and I, I think it's also um, like a confidence issue too, of just wow. like being, I don't know how young these people are. Are they like high school or older? Yeah, like, like high school. Yeah, it's still like, still pretty awkward ages, right? And you're definitely not that confident as a woman in high school. Yeah, yeah. Or a young girl in high school. And I think, yeah, like the inclination is always to just kind of like hide yourself and tighten everything up. And I see that all the time of like, like the crossing of the legs mm-hmm. and I don't know if it's like a cultural thing of them like being taught like cr- cross your legs however I know like the older population they definitely always recognize that when I'm like just let it go let those legs open up come on and they're yeah like oh my god my mother never told me to do that <laughs> well you're 80 now so I think it'll be okay <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah it's very um, like mad men type thing isn't it you've got to sit with your legs crossed in a, yeah. position right. in a bag Um your pencil skirt on yeah yeah it's interesting isn't it because we i think we associate um uh, the female pelvis with things like q angle and like anatomical differences and the width of the pelvis blah 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 but i, I would i just wonder if there's some like i said some cultural things that lead to females having that Knee, uh, knee issue with knee valgus because of we're, we're taught to sat in a, uh, sit in a certain way. um You know, sometimes I've watched my six-year-old niece cross her legs because she's seen a mum do it, and it's, right. and it's really, really early on, isn't it? um And also, obviously, the pencil skirts force you. Remember, yeah, right. Well, don't they? <laughs> not,
1: not too many girls are wearing those these
0: days. And uh, um,
1: it's,
0: it's really interesting because I once sat at a. um um at a conference and this student had done a study on whether standing desks were were better basically and she kind of went whittled through a study and she went um and it was in like a i don't know an office building but like a professional office building um and she got to the end of her, her presentation and she went and we found that actually females were less likely to adopt using a standing desk they said they felt tired after a couple of minutes and and went for a chair instead mm-hmm so I said um did you did you check what footwear the females were wearing and she was like oh no I didn't I was like "Mm, if I was in high heels I would not want to be standing for a long period (laughs) right
1: exactly (laughs) so Um, true I know we could go on a whole tangent right now footwear and their effect on hips but yes we'll save that for our foot episode (laughs) definitely
0: um so I think the um the other thing that i was going to ask you again just based on your sort of clinical practice is you've kind of mentioned that you give your um participants or your, your patients like the 20 minute rule so you're going to get up and move every 20 minutes do you give them any advice on different sitting behaviors like do you, do you suggest they opt for things like floor sitting because uh, that's that's really a cultural um yeah. you know you know kind of an i suppose a cultural oddity isn't it because we have sofas sure. we have like you know kind of yeah. chairs right well.
1: why would you sit on the hardwood floor when yeah. you have a sofa right there <laughs> yeah you know the good thing about covid and everybody's working from home still is that that i can take advantage of that and there's nobody around and you can say fine you're going to sit on the floor for like an hour today like yeah. break it up yeah. if you need to but like try to get yourself to sit on the floor so yes in the past 2 years i've definitely been able to change what i can tell people Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they'll listen to it and they'll do it and you do get more hip mobility you know surprise surprise yeah our bodies will acclimate to whatever we're doing all day long just like they acclimate to sitting all day long
0: we um in covid at our gym had like weekly challenges and one of the weekly challenges was by the end of the week you're going to sit in a squat hold for two minutes and it's kind of like started like today we're going to do 30 seconds tomorrow we're going to do two lots of 30 seconds dah, dah, dah. and yeah. i would say like 90 percent of the The gym, even though we CrossFit and they squat regularly, could not sit in a squat position, and it was absolutely mind blowing. It just goes to show that those tissues are not acclimatized to managing our body's torso for a long period. It's it's really really interesting. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's amazing.
0: It's funny how quickly we just adapt our. You know, if you kind of move into a like healthier sitting position, should I say? It's amazing how quickly you just start to gravitate towards the lean and the tech neck and things like that, isn't it? It um, is. So, sad, sad but true. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk through um, some of the experiments that we've got then. So we've got squat hold in here. And this for me is like the ultimate challenge because I think it gives you a real indication of um, sort of how, um, obviously how mobile you are for one thing. but. Right. The fatigue element associated with those tissues as well so are they able to to hold your heavy torso for a prolonged period are they able to stabilize your torso so um, do you want to talk us through that
1: yeah and i think it's also worth mentioning that i think when people get into that squat and it feels so terribly uncomfortable and like almost painful right If, if you've ever been through it, like I had a period where I could not squat after a hip surgery. So I, I totally understand it. And it took me maybe like a year to really get into a squat. Um, but anyway, it's, it's really like the fascia, you know, and I was in that mindset of like, Oh, my hip and I'm stuck and I can't do it, but no, my hip can move if I just let it move. And all that tension that we feel is really just all that fascia, like Mm -hmm. everything that's so connected, from the foot up to the hip and the back, right? Like all the way up to the thoracic spine. You can feel that if you haven't been in a deep squat. So I really like this. And I think I'm probably more biased because I was a person that couldn't do it for so long. But for that reason, we have like several different techniques or at least this is what I do in, in a clinic setting to help people get into a squat, which is kind of being on hands and knees and just getting them to rock back and forth. And starting to use their pelvis because I'm sure you've seen people cannot dissociate their pelvis from the rest of their body right
0: yeah like the
1: anterior pelvic into a posterior pelvic tail so I'm just getting them to just glide back and forth and start doing a squat on their hands and knees I've got some other things but was there anything you wanted to say about that
0: um no I just it it made me laugh when you said people can't differentiate between um (laughs) different pelvic positions because they can get into anterior pelvic tilt and you're like yeah I know you can get into that because you sit in that all day but can you show me the other way and it's amazing watching people's faces go like
1: oh. right because they cannot yeah. like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, your shoulders aren't going to help your pelvis this time <laughs> that's not quite what
0: I'm asking for but good job let's try again <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah oh and. And and notice you've got happy baby listed as well as one of the movements that you might use to teach someone. um, uh, Sorry, my cat's meowing at my feet. Sorry. Um, (laughs) You know, babies. (laughs) Yeah. And you use to teach someone uh, squat patterns. And again, it always um, I always find it absolutely crazy when you kind of start teaching someone a squat pattern. And they go, I can't do this because I've got weak glutes or I can't do this because my hips are too tight. And then you pull them into that unloaded position and you're like, well, that's hip flexion. Yeah, here you are. It's between you doing it lying in like a happy baby position and doing it standing. And of course, it's the the tissue, isn't it? Right. Um, So
1: just being able to tolerate all that tissue load. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, So it's cool to always let people see that you can actually do these things. So like a happy baby or the assisted squat. Like, I think that's what I've been doing a lot of recently is just have people hold and just let them like go back into a squat. They'll always do a perfect assisted squat too. You know, like they're never going to use their knees. They're just going to drop right down and it's like, there it is. That's (laughs) what you need to do. And now you can just hold that for a minute and work up until you don't need your hands anymore. Yeah. That's
0: yeah what i'm asking you to do now do it, it yeah i know what you mean um and that you know that's that's a really nice progression or regression isn't it um i think that's really important for particularly your older older populations who've maybe never had to get into full squat positions before right um yeah. you've also got listed here some habit changes as one of your experiments or one of the experiments and um if we can go through these because i know you've got eat one meal on the ground daily. Yeah. <laughs> uh, lie on the floor versus sitting on the couch i'm a am a floor sitter like i yeah. start on the couch and then i gravitate towards being on the floor um yeah. so that's a nice one and then sitting cross-legged
1: to tolerance yeah i like that one <laughs> that and that again is something that i couldn't do forever and i know that a lot of people can't either at this point in their lives but it's something that we should all be able to do <laughs> yeah right and that's like one of our ultimate resting postures between like d- the deep squat and sitting cross-legged. I think prior to chairs, that is what we were doing as humans.
0: Yeah, definitely. Right? Well, it's a re- it's a rest position, isn't it? It's a perfect rest. Right. position. Yeah. Um, cool. Okay. So I think we've, we've essentially covered everything that we were going to, or we were intended to cover in terms of hip motion. And I suppose one of the things that we both discussed when we, um, initially met to, to talk about what we were going to go through in this um, session was we didn't want to go into the anatomy too much because I think it's, it's probably not something that a lot of people, a lot of the footnotes will have already covered. Um, but we wanted to touch on some of the kind of main issues around hip and, um, uh, around hip tightness in particular and how that impacts daily living. Um, so I think we've, we've basically covered one of the issues, one of the main issues is around sedentary behaviour and, and prolonged sitting. And of course, like you've, you've mentioned a few times, the best way to uh, approach that is don't sit for prolonged periods, get up and move, have have variation in your movement. Um, so that, that's a, a really nice thing to finish on, I think.
1: Right. Yeah. Habit changes all the way.
0: Habit changes, definitely. Uh, <laughs> load it, use it, love it. If you don't
1: use it, <laughs> you lose it. Exactly. Love your <laughs> hips. Love, love your hips. hips. <laughs> You don't move them. They're not going to love you back. (laughs) Let them do what they're supposed to do. I think that's what I tell a lot of people. Like, this is what they're supposed to do. We need to let them do it or else they're going to tell us they're not happy. Right. And we can't get mad at our bodies either. Like we are one in the same. They're not just a vessel for us. Right. I feel like people are very good at blaming their bodies, but we've done this to our own body and it it is us. (laughs) We can't go pointing fingers at anybody else.
0: Well but yeah, but Katie, I've got weak glutes, so I can't do that
1: you me to
0: do. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Go to your clamshell. <laughs> I'll add a band to it as well just to make it a little oh, bit okay, happy.
1: perfect. So hold it for ten, <laughs> 10 seconds. <laughs> okay. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I think we covered it all. Perfect.